I know a lot of old faces and there's a few new faces. And uh, so my um, my name is Philip Torres. I'm part of the Citywide team. And we have the privilege of leading amazing people like you in fear and trembling. And we pray that God will help us as we go into 2023. You know, every year we, we have slogans like, may this be a good year and all of that. But we really trust that in this year that God himself will become more known to you. I love how, the mo- the, how every nation has put our whole, um, but that's my beautiful wife. And my youngster, I drove out of the gate this was early this morning, and I hear him shout from the balcony, stop, I'm coming with. <laughs> so Lucas also, yeah, he came to the kitchen. I said, Is this, do I know anybody? I said, I don't know, just make new friends. So Lucas, yeah, with me, and uh, he's a nine-year-old. He's turning 20th of February. He's turning nine. So, and uh, Jesse just turned 16, the 6th of January. Um, so, yeah, um, so where was I? Every nation, Jesus. <laughs> um, so, we as every nation, the whole series on miracles, I love the way that they position it because miracles is an interesting topic. Miracles is not a new thing. Miracles has been all right through the New Testament, you can read about it. Old Testament, you read about it. We serve a God who's miraculous God. And miracles is one of those amazing things that is just part of our Christian life. But it's also one of those topics that could easily be misused, misunderstood, and actually been also neglected. And I love the ultimate focus of what we put down as miracles. Let Him be known. And we can easily look at miracles, and I almost kind of use miracles to, you know, Get a good business card and get yourself famous and invite people. It's great. It's attractive force. But I believe the part of the church is knows so much. Can we build an environment that attracts people to this place? But can we actually raise up a people that become an expansive force, not just an attractive force? See, an attractive force makes me and you very passive. You just need a few people that allow God to work through them, and it becomes attractive. You have a great band that leads worship. You've got great moments that we have a sermon, which is great that people come. But the part of the church is actually, can you and I live something beyond Sundays? And actually, where we go, can we penetrate society? I'll share with you a short, quick testimony. Yaku called me yesterday and said, Phil, come meet me at Checkers. Let's just sit in a coffee shop and see what happens. So we were sitting at the coffee shop and waiting for, it's like almost like, you know, we were hunting. And uh, so we kind of said, and then some of our friends came by and we called them, listen, come join us quickly. And we just connected, introduced Yaku to them. And, um, and as we finished off, Yaku says, I'm going to go and speak to that, those guys then. I walked to my car, and as I walked to my car, a gentleman walked past me, and uh, he's pushing his trolley, but he's moving. And God says, and God gave me a word for this guy. Now, I have never seen this guy in my life. It's not like, you know, Dirk that I know, and it's easy. Hi, Dirk, how are you? And they start talking. It's like, okay, so I kind of stalked this guy, you know, and his car was not like two cars from me. His car, car was kind of on that side, close to Cape Town. And so we kind of turning down this trail, and I'm kind of walking the way that this guy's not going to like, what's this guy doing? So as he gets to his bucky, he opens his bucky, and I walk to him and say, hey, sorry. Let me introduce myself. My name is Philip Torres. He walked past me. And I don't know if it's weird for you, but I just need to be obedient. But I felt God, and I started to share with him a word. Next moment, he stopped. He says, hang on, hang on. Grab his phone. He says, can I record this? I said, you're welcome. Took out his phone, 
started recording, and God showed me something specific around this guy's life and things. And, and you know, and for me, I, I, I know he was blessed, but I was more blessed. Just the fact that we can become so passive, gone to that same mall so many times. We buy all our groceries there. How many people walk past us? Are we aware of people around us? Are we aware? It wasn't a major thing. It was just, God gave me a short word. Usually with me, it works like, short word, you go in obedience, I add the rest. I don't get the full words. So I don't know about you guys. So if you say full, what did you hear? I heard few words. I just need to be obedient. And as I start speaking, in fact, when he stopped me, it's like, don't stop me. I'm going to flow here. You know, he opened up his record. Then God really started to flow. And he sent me a message this morning. Now, remember, I'd never, I've never met this guy in my life. Morning is... And one part of it was that it feels like he's in a major wrestle with God. And it feels like God is not hearing him. But God said, I must come telling me he is hearing him, but he's waiting for him. It's not that he needs God's attention. You've got God's attention. God doesn't have your attention. And that's kind of the word. And I said, listen, you need to go sit down and make time for God. He sent me at 5.34 this morning. Morning, Philip. I'm translating, okay? Thanks for your, you know, openness to come and share with me yesterday what God placed on your heart. The word you gave me was so relevant and so timely, and it fell on open ground. And we now have made a commitment to see each other on a weekly basis because he shared with me, he says, Phil, I'm in such a place, but you know what, we go and we listen to things, but I feel like there's a gap in my life because there's nobody I can sit down and talk to. I said, would you like to sit down and talk every week? Let's do that. And you know what it means. It means let's have a connect group. Let's get foundation in your life and let's do something. I want to encourage you this morning and I honor the leadership of this church. And you guys have been going. This is the, like I said, this is ground zero. This is where we started. And this will never end. And we're going to keep on growing from here. But God has done amazing things over the last 15 years going into our 16th year. I look back and I'm amazed at God's faithfulness. We all are people, we are frail, we, have, we make mistakes, we mess up, we make bad decisions and so on, but ultimately God stays faithful. And I pray this morning as we share and we continue our series that we're speaking about miracles, I think Donnie preached last week on feeding the 5,000. Now I'm going to continue with that and connect it a little bit together. Now if you look at the Gospel of John, the book of John is part of the Gospels. Now the Gospel means good news. But you find that every one of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have specific angles that they took in those books, specific focuses they put on. But John's focus was very clear, crystal clear, focusing on Jesus because he was there to proclaim who Jesus is. Not that the others didn't, but the others added some more things that we learned from people's journey and how God worked. John excluded a lot of the noises in John to make sure you and I don't miss it. What's, this is about Jesus. So that's what we can look at if we, if we look at into it. Even in the book of John, you'll find a very clear upside-down principle the whole time. All the Gospels does that, but John does this particularly well. He walks into a community, the community's values are like this, and then Jesus comes in and he turns the community values around. That's just the amazing thing how God works with people. You know, we have a certain perception of Jesus, and he comes and he appears totally different. And if you're not aware and you're not sharp, you may miss him. Because he comes in a different way. Jesus came, Jesus' life proclaimed not just who Jesus is, but also started to proclaim a different kingdom 
that was in that moment different kind of, they thought it was political, but it was more than that. And that kingdom immediately caught some tension. That, that what Jesus said, who he is, and what he's coming to, he's a king. No, no, we have a king. I'm bringing a kingdom. No, there is a reign. There is a kingdom here. And Jesus, as he entered into society, I'm just giving you a background here of the whole book of John. He immediately caused tensions between the political leaders and the religious leaders. And they could not kind of, who's this guy? And the more Jesus is just who he is, and the more he just be Jesus and he impacts people's lives, the more they start to get, oh, this guy's kind, they, he's stealing our glory. He's changing things. He's challenging things. And this is what's happening in the book of John. Also, what you need to notice, all of us read the Bible and we grab our Bible and we go and we see, oh, there's a miracle. And we kind of, oh, there's a great miracle. We major on a miracle or an event or a verse or a chapter. The people quickly, we, we, we easy taking scriptures and we make the scriptures say something that we need today. Now, it's pretty important that you and I need to understand when you read the Bible, your first mindset must be, to whom was this written? Why was this written? What was the context of what this written? So we get the original meaning, and then we can, from the original meaning, the major gap, mind the gap, the gap between then and now, and see how is this relevant to us today. So what you find as you read the scripture, you'll find that the miracles Jesus did were not just unintentional, accidental miracles. No, they were so carefully planned. And we can, you can, I'm going to focus a little bit more on John 6 this morning, but you'll find from John 5 to John 10 is actually the time of the four feasts. And where we find ourselves in John 6 is specifically the Passover feast. It's going to make sense now. It's the Passover feast. So Jesus is not just performing miracles. He's using the feasts, all the miracles in John 5 to 10, are feasts that are actually, he's using the feasts to actually use that and elements of that to declare who he is. So that they would not just look at the feast, but they will ever actually discover that he is the Lord of the feast. He's actually the answer to the feast. He's actually the person what they're feasting about, and they're not seeing it. So as we go into John 6, we find it's the Passover. And let's read John 6, verse 16 to 21. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea of Capernaum to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Father, I pray that you take this scripture that we read. And when you make it alive to us today. In Jesus' name. You'll find the scripture starts. And it talks about Jesus. He just fed the 5,000. And now he's taking his disciples and says, get into the boat. For us to get a proper perspective of what's happened here, there are three accounts of the exact same event. They've got different angles. You find in Mark 6 and in Matthew 14, the exact same recording of the same event. But they put different emphasis on it. What you find in Mark 6 and Mark, Mark, uh, Matthew 14 
you actually get a different angle. Jesus was not just saying get into the boat. He was ordering them, you better get away here. He said to the disciples, you need to get into this boat and get away from the crowd. Now, why? What's going on here? Verse 15, just before we, 16 says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take Jesus, him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here you find he just fed the 5,000. They came, Jesus fed the 5,000, and you see this miracle of Jesus taking, you know, loaf and, 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 and kind of, you know, fish and, and loaves, and he says, okay, you guys, disciples, come stand here. You get a little piece of bread, and you get a little bit of a piece of fish, and uh, go and feed the 5,000. Imagine you yourself standing there with a little bread. It's not nachmal because you can give a small piece. It's lunch. You're going to look at, okay, 5,000, let me go for the 10 there in the corner. Because I could maybe feed more than 10 than the 5. No. He says, you see, that's the reality what we face in life as Christians. We always feel we don't have enough for the demand that's out there. And all Jesus is saying is, just go. Just take what you have and start. Start somewhere. And he just, just did this miracle in front of these people. And, so, and these people look at it, and then the next moment, they want to forcefully take him, put him on a throne, that's human-made throne, and make him king. I mean, there's a lot of benefits in doing that. What's going on? Why do they want to make him king? Because the crowd Jesus was ministering to, their mindset, their Jesus they expected, and the Jesus who's in front of them is not the same Jesus. They wanted a king that would overthrow the, the Roman Empire and also overrule the religious leadership and maybe they get a free meal, so by the way, along the way. I mean, if he's the king, I mean, would that not be beneficial to them? They had this idea of who Jesus should be for them, what Jesus must do for them, and therefore let's make him the king that we want. You see, they were still thinking about their needs and what they want and not actually open to who Jesus really is. Now, if you think through this, here comes Jesus and he's right in front of them and the crowd looks at Jesus and they thought, okay, you know what? We're busy with Passover. See, you and I don't connect it. They do because they're busy with the feast of Passover. What is Passover? Passover is about Egypt, the Israelites being freed from Egypt they went through the desert where they were fed. They got to the Jordan River, water. And then God said, some of you are not going to go over. Joshua, Caleb, you will cross the water. And they crossed into Canaan. They know that. So they're celebrating an ancient historical moment. And Jesus said, I just showed you that it's not Moses that fed you. I fed you. I just did it again, and you're still not seeing it. You are celebrating a historical moment, and you're missing the active moment right in front of your eyes right now to embrace me. And he says to the disciples, you need to get away from this mindset. You need to get away from this crowd. You need to be careful, because what was he doing? He sent them on a boat away, because Jesus looked at his own disciples and says, you yourself are not yet at a place where you are convinced. You're closely relating with the crowd's mentality. 
and still you don't know who I am. So let me take you out of the Egypt inside of you and take you on a journey. I'm taking you to Canaan. And so here they're on the water. And you find as they stem the water, Jesus said, yeah. In verse 26, you find what the crowd's mentality was. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but you, you guys ate yourself to the full. You're not seeking me. You're looking for what I can do for you. How many people approach Jesus, serve Jesus, pray to Jesus, do things to look at what Jesus can do for them? And if he doesn't do what we ask of him, then we kind of do cycling on Sunday mornings. Then we start to withdraw. Then we start to step back. Then we start to, why? Because Jesus didn't answer my prayers. He did not perform the way I expect him to perform. This is exactly what happened here. Do you seek me or do you seek what I do? Do we impose our expectations on Jesus? Lord, let me build a definition of who you are. Jesus is this, he can do this, he must do this, and this, this, this. And when Jesus does not fulfill that exact picture, are we not trying to enthrone Jesus on a human throne in our hearts and actually explain to Jesus who he should be? And then when he doesn't appear the way we expect him to be, then we kind of, oh, yeah, I don't know if I really believe in Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Let me get you away from this. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. When evening came, came, disciples went down to sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea of Caperna, to Capernaum. And now it was dark, and there's a strong wind. Friends, when evening came, when darkness came, when uncertainty came, when you no longer see, when you no longer see everything ahead of you, in fact, you're not even on the solid ground, you're in a boat. It's not just evening came, that's one thing, it's darkness, you can't see. You don't know what's going to happen. There's the uncertainty of life ahead of us. How many of us not facing storms? Storms are inevitable. You will never be storm-free. We need to be storm-proof. Storms are coming. Storms we'll face. Here we even came, the Bible says, not only did they see nothing, it was dark. With that darkness came a storm. Now suddenly, the Bible says, they were in a storm and they couldn't see anything beyond that. And they started to fear. They were frightened. Why were they afraid? Because the scripture says, Jesus had not yet come to them. Basically, Jesus was absent. Now, let's think through this. He's just fed the 5,000. Yesterday's sign is already forgotten. Yesterday, not five days. Yesterday. You saw a miracle. And now you're standing here and you say, I'm absent. Now, what is absence? Was Jesus really totally absent? Or was it more a moment of revelation to these disciples that the deep conviction of who I am, when you think I'm absent, the deep conviction of knowing who I am is not yet present with you. It's not yet present when you are not in a worship service and you're not singing great glorification songs. When you are just, you know, that deep conviction in your moment of darkness and storm 
knowing who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the greatest gift in this moment. They were afraid because Jesus had not yet come. And then you find the next moment, you know, in the storm, the beautiful thing is you think about these storms and we face sometimes storms because of our own disobedience. What can I do? We serve a gracious God, turn to Him, repent, and ask forgiveness. And say, Lord, help me to weather the storm. Some of the storms we face because we were obedient. Some of you had moments where you were obedient and you still face the storm. See, those, those come to us. But in the midst of those storms, it's the presence of God. He is not absent. When you obey God and you face things, the fact that you obey God, the fact that they obeyed Jesus and they got into the boat, did not mean Jesus was absent. Obedience does not cause Jesus to be absent from us. Obedience is the place of presence. When you and I obey God, the safest place we can be is in the will of God. And when we obey God, He's always present. What storm are you facing today? If it's a storm that you face because of disobedience, sin, pray to Jesus. Get to somebody, pray. Make right with God. He's a gracious God who will forgive you. He's a gracious God and will restore and change us that we don't make the same mistakes. If it's a storm that you face because you're obedient, turn to Jesus. Put your trust in Him. It's a moment where we can have a revelation of who He is. It goes on in verse 19. Then they saw Jesus coming on the sea. They saw Jesus coming on the sea. What is amazing about God's nature, earth, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came to earth. Look at human beings. They sent the Son. They sent the Holy Spirit. Here's the nature of God. Although we don't, it's not just this moment. This moment is just a greater revelation again of who Jesus is. That's all we're speaking about here. Jesus is in the middle of your storm. I'm coming. Your storm attracts me. I'm coming. They didn't cry out for Jesus. In fact, why were they frightened? Because first reason, they did not expect anybody to walk on water. It's not normal. People don't walk on water. See, here's the first place of revelation. I am not a human being. I just fed the 5,000, and you think I'm Moses the second. I am not like Moses. They were not expecting anybody to walk on water. The second thing is, they were so focusing on the storm, they did not realize there's a solution. You see, when we look at Jesus coming on the water, the third reason is they were not yet convinced of who Jesus really is. And here's the moment of the greatest revelation. I know this passage, when you speak about walking on water, what's the first message people go to? They speak about Peter and keeping your eyes on Jesus, which is true. But that is not the main emphasis of this passage. It's not on Peter. That was just part of the thing. That's why out of three records, only one speak about Peter. The other two do not speak about Peter. The focus here is not Peter walking in water, although we can learn a lesson from Peter where he did step out in faith. Yes, and he was the one, but it's not. The walking on water was not about Peter. The walking on water was not about Jesus walking on water. The walking on water was Jesus revealing to himself. I'm the God who took Israel out of Egypt and I fed them. And I'm the God who took people across the Jordan 
and I put them in a land of victory and freedom. I am the Passover. Do you see it? I am the Lord who not only saves people, sustains people, I'm also people who sanctify them and put them in a place of freedom. Do you know who I am, disciples? And what happened in that boat, they had a salvation moment. It was not just, wow, okay, it's Jesus. The moment of the penny drop. This is the Son of God. This is the first place where they really focus and mention that He is the Son of God. He is not another Moses. He's not like Elijah. Good people, great people, historical heroes. He is way beyond human beings. He is the Son of God. When you look at Jesus today, how do you see Him? What changed their fear into faith? The moment he turns to says, do not be afraid. It is I. It's me. It's not, oh, it's Jesus you saw there. No, for the first time, you saw me there, but still you were vulnerable to those mentality. I sent you away. But right now, I'm appearing to you. I am not just over provision. I'm also over nature. I'm over everything. And the next moment, that he, Jesus appears and says, it is me. I am the Son of God. I'm not another human being. I'm not going to sit on a human throne that you want to entail. I'm not going to be somebody who's going to overthrow and do a kingdom as you preserve. I am God. I have my own kingdom. I build in my own way. And you need to have a revelation of who I am so that you can follow me without preference, without restraint. When you look at the whole concept of great I am, Moses goes to God and he says to God, Lord, you want me to go and free these people from Egypt? Who do I say is sending me? As if Moses doesn't know God is speaking to him. That's not what's happening. He was kind of, Lord, do I use which name? I mean, freedom, maybe we use the name provider or conqueror because that's a good name to free people from Israel. And God said, no. You know what your name you use? And that's my name forever. Tell them I am exactly the same scripture. Tell them I am sending you. I am what? I am full stop. You don't define me. I'm defined. You don't prescribe me. I am described. I am over everything. I do what I do when I want to do it. How I want to do it, you do not define me. You do not prescribe. You do not build out of God's names a puzzle and you choose the names you like and you serve that God and the names you don't like, you put it in another box. The God you create makes you God because you are the creator of God. It's no more God. Friends, if we do not serve God for who He is, we are not serving God. There's a revelation in our hearts that me, Philip Pretorius, I'm still rap I'm grappling with this. I'm a human being. And I keep on wrestling with God. God, show me in the midst of my greatest storms. Show me in the midst of my greatest fears. Who are you? But I don't want to define you. You are the great I am. You see, if we define him, we want to make him a king that sits on a certain throne. And then we're waiting for that king. And guess what? Go to the wailing walls. They're still waiting for that king. His long time already come. He's already died on a cross for those people's sins, but they're still waiting in the wailing wall. 
which Jesus are you waiting for? You see, the Jesus that is the king that sits not on a human throne, he is already here. He's available. He's in the midst of your storm. He's coming. Are you looking out? Lord, there's a storm. Where's Jesus? And the Bible says the moment he got into their boat. Interesting miracle that we sometimes miss. You can go read all three versions. It says the same. The moment he got into their boat, they were at land. Wow. In a boat, stability. At land. The moment Jesus stepped into our uncertain world, he not only calms the storm, he puts our feet on a rock to stay. He puts us in a place of security. He puts us in a place where we can weather the storms. We don't have to move to another nation and think there will be stability. All this, friends, in the midst of our storms, Jesus is with us. In the nation we're living in, we're going to have to start to proclaim a different message. Our proclamation is actually a display of our revelation of who Jesus is. Yesterday when I spoke to this gentleman, I was deeply challenged afterwards. And the Lord said to me, Phil, do not just play things, play church, play. There's a world out there that are deeply, deeply disturbed. And we know this. And you and I have the answer. But would you get away from the crowd? Get in your boat, follow Jesus, and don't let the crowd determine your thinking. Don't let social media and Facebook and the, the parties where you go to and the social events influence your thinking about Jesus. You should be the one that get a revelation of who Jesus is. And then we go to the parties and the places, and we are the influence. We are not being influenced. We bring influence. Not because we're superior, because we were saved by grace and we had a revelation of who he is. The Jesus who walked on this water is the exact Jesus who's in the midst. He's in your storm. In your storm right now, he's on his way. He loves saving people. He loves us so much, he died for them. He wants to help us. He wants to journey with us. There is no other gospel on the face of the earth from no religion that can give you this message. He is the Savior that saves us. And all he's asking you, embrace me for who I am. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. Don't define me. Submit to me. Father, we pray this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. While I'm just keeping my eyes closed, I feel, I see just God's love just dropping on people here. Across this venue. There's a revelation coming to many of you where you don't feel condemned. It's almost like you just say, Lord, forgive me. I just want to, I want to know you. I pray after this morning that there will be a burning, yearning, desire in your heart to run after Jesus hard. Run after him. Seek him. Submit to him. Obey him. May we 24-7, tomorrow morning when you wake up, say, Lord, I'm going to work. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. Show me people around me. Sometimes we have to stop and just repent. And say, Lord, make me again aware of people around me. Just make me aware of lost people. Make me aware of people's needs. And you simply just walk over and say, can I pray for you? 
Jesus is walking over and says, can I buy a cup of coffee and just extend love? Let's get out of the storm. Let's get out of the storms of politics and everything else around us. And, and let's put our eyes on Jesus, friends. And become a solution with Jesus in the midst of people's storms. If you're here this morning, you say, Phil, I'm right in the middle of a storm. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Jesus is coming to your storm. If that is you, would you just raise your hands? I want to pray for you. We face storms and those are so normal. But when it's more normal than your storm, is Jesus is present. He's not absent. Jesus, thank you for your presence in people's storms. Thank you for your presence in people's relational storms, financial storms, political storms. Father, whatever storm it is, family storms, we ask you, Jesus, would you enter into people's boats and would you bring them onto the solid rock of your word, Lord God, bring a stability in their lives, Lord God, so that they become a conviction of who Jesus is in our lives. Speak stillness into your storm and a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Father, thank you for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, go and read John 6. And especially the next part after the feeding and after walking water. Jesus turns to them and says, You're not looking for me. You're looking for what I can do for you. He says, but there's a work that will help you to discover eternal life. And they ask, what work is that? And Jesus says, here's the work. It's simple. You want to work for Jesus? He says, here's the work. That you may know me. That you may know me. The greatest gift is when you and I get a revelation of who Jesus is. And we live from that revelation into the storms of life. Through the storms of life into the joys of life. We raise our children like that. We go to social parties with that kind of revelation and we live different from the world. We're not part of the crowd. We're there to influence the crowd. God bless you.